Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm glad you guys are here. I hope you've been enjoying this series. If you've been here for some other weeks of it, this is your first time with us or your first week here during this series. I hope you'll go back and check out the podcast. I said at the beginning, it's really like a six-week-long sermon broken up into six pieces. And so uh, today we are in part five of the series. And I had you do this last week with me. I'm going to have you do it again. Um, there's no prizes on the line for this. It's just honor. Uh, that was disappointing last week, right, Allison? There's no prizes on the line. <laughs> so just reputation and honor. So uh, we've been studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, the feedback from you guys, for me, has been very encouraging. So I've heard people say things in this series like, this is the first time I've ever heard the book of Ecclesiastes preached in church. That's encouraging. And somebody else told me, I, I just love coming to church here. It's the first church I've ever been to where I leave feeling like I understand the Bible more. I love that. That's a great compliment. That's like one of the best compliments we could ever get at our church. And uh, so it's good stuff. Not only are people hearing what we're teaching, but they're going out the doors and they're putting God's word into practice. So that's encouraging. So we're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes written by a man who identifies himself in the text as the teacher or the preacher. Um, but it seems pretty clear to me from the first couple of verses that it's King Solomon. But he calls himself the preacher or the teacher. And he's really writing this book as if it were like his journal that he's going to leave behind to his son or leave behind to a future generation. He's doing a deep dive, an investigation into the meaning of life. He's trying to discover what life is all about and if there's any purpose or lasting meaning to this existence. And uh, in the book, over and over again, he repeats two phrases. So I need somebody besides Allison to help me out with the first one. She got last week. She got it. So what's the first phrase? He says it 40 times in the book. He's investigating for the meaning of life everywhere, but he puts one stipulation on it. Yeah, under the sun. That wasn't even on the screen. Excellent. Yeah, he says, uh, I've searched for meaning everywhere under the sun. What does he mean? Under the sun, he means everywhere on this planet, everywhere on earth. In other words, he's searching high and low, wide and deep, wherever he can search, but he's only searching things that he can actually experience, things that are practical, things that he can tangibly try out and see how they work out, see how they play out. He's not diving into the theoretical or getting real philosophical on us. He's not sitting around like some Buddhist monk or some priest off by himself at a monastery, just waxing eloquent about life and the deeper things of life. No, he's practically getting into the nitty-gritty and trying out all the different things in life you could try to find value and purpose and fulfillment and meaning. And so he never dives into like the, you know, heaven or spirituality. He just examines all the things on this earth. And we've covered a lot of those things. He's covered things like wisdom and pleasure, things like power and riches, things like uh, your place in history and the quality of the relationships you have. He's covered all kinds of areas. And so far, through four weeks, he's found every area he's examined to be meaningless. Is that right? And so that brings us to the second phrase he uses over and over again. Does anybody know what it is? He uses it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. He says, it's all meaningless. Meaningless, says the preacher. Everything I've examined, everything I've evaluated, everything I've studied so far, everything I've experimented with and tried, 
has been meaningless, like chasing after the wind and trying to grab a hold of it. It's worthless. In some translations of the Bible, that word meaningless is translated vanity. That's where we got the title for our series, The Vanity of Humanity. Now, it's not talking about vanity like looking at yourself in a mirror. It's talking about vanity like empty, like the things you're trying are in vain, worthless. They have no meaning. They're not bad things. All these things that he's examined, he doesn't say any of them are bad things. In fact, quite the opposite. He says you should go after these things. They're all worthy things. Go after them with all you've got. So we've looked at all of these, and he says they're good things. They're just not enough to give your life any meaning. Work and justice. And we looked at a whole list last week where it's kind of like he was saying, hey, in case I left anything out that you could search for to find meaning in this life, let me list off a ton of other things you could try to find purpose or fulfillment in your life by doing and they were all kind of hollow too. And he pokes holes in all of them. So last week we looked at a bunch, I don't know if it was like a dozen things we looked at real quick where he just kind of flies through them. He says like, hey, how about having kids? That's the meaning of life for some people, isn't it? But eh, there was a flaw in that, remember? He says, how about living really long or finding the fountain of youth? You could live for 2,000 years, but eh, that still would have a problem with it. And he lists all these problems with it. So I want to encourage you to go back and hear all the problems, all the holes he pokes and these things that we pursue to find meaning in our life. Now we're done sharing them. There aren't any more. He's covered pretty much all of them. I don't know if you're sitting there and you could think of an area he didn't cover, but man, he hit a lot of stuff that we go after to try to find purpose in our life. And yet all of it kind of fell short. And I've been asking you the whole series just to do one thing, just to answer one question. The question is, is he right is he right? I'm not asking you to make some huge leap of faith or, or to believe in something you can't see at this point. I'm just asking you to evaluate the stuff he's examining and decide, is he right? Or are the holes he's poking in these things legitimate? And that's what I'm going to do today. Now, we're not going to cover any more areas of life you could pursue meaning in because he's done with that. But he's going to spend the next three and a half chapters, and this is the biggest chunk of scripture through the book we're going to cover. Obviously, we're not going to read you the whole three and a half chapters today, but I would encourage you on your own this week to go back and read through Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 9 through the end of chapter 11. That's really the section of scripture we're covering today. He spends quite a bit of time on what he's going to cover today. And basically, so far, what he said is, I've looked everywhere there is to look, and yet I haven't found any meaning at all any lasting fulfillment. What he's really trying to say is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I want you to help me with that. Can you guys all say that with me? But I stick, everybody with me, right? But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Everybody under the age of 30 is like, what's this guy doing? Everybody, one more time, ready? But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some of you just sitting there like, like I don't see you. I can see you, Raven, okay? Everybody with me, ready? Let's one more time. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All right, maybe you need some music behind you to help. Is that going to help? Okay, let's do it. You ready? He's saying, I've looked everywhere I could possibly think of to look for meaning, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's what he's saying, right? 
All right, today what he's going to do, he's going he's gonna to answer the question that logically flows out of that. If you've looked everywhere that you could possibly look under the sun for meaning and you still haven't found what you're looking for, you're left like I was this past week when I was studying, asking the next logical question, why not? Why? If you're a note taker, if you jot stuff down on your phone, put this down in big, bold print, write it real top, big at the top of your page. Why? Question mark. Why? I mean, if God made us, if we're not here by accident, if every church you go to talks about like God made you for a reason and you've got purpose and you've got value and all this stuff, then why, after searching everywhere I could possibly search for meaning, have I still not found what I'm looking for? That's what he's gonna talk about today. He's gonna to spend three and a half chapters doing it. I'm not gonna read you all of it. I'm gonna read you some portions of it. But that's what he's gonna to expose today. He's examined many different outlets that you could pursue to look for meaning. And he's poked holes in all of them. And now he's gonna sum it all up for us. And he's gonna say, once you've looked everywhere you can look, you're left asking this question, why not? Let me give you the main reasons why you can't find any meaning under the sun. He's going to take all those holes he's poked for the last four weeks in our church that he showed us. He's going to sum them all up and say, like, basically, there's two huge problems with trying to find meaning on this earth. And you, I'm just going to ask you the same question when we get to him that I've been asking you the whole series. Is he right? Are they actual problems or not? So let me start in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. Let me just read you a couple of the things he says. Here's what he says in verse 14 of chapter 8. And this is not all the meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. Is that true? Sometimes good people get the raw end of it? Okay. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Is that true? Do wicked people often get rewarded? Yes. I'm just asking you to be honest. Is he right or is he not right? There's real irony in this life, isn't there? It doesn't always work like it's supposed to. It doesn't always go according to the script. Look, look what he says in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in the hands of God, no one knows whether God will show them favor. You could do all the right things, you could believe that God's got you in his hands, but still, you might not get what you want. It, it might not go like it's supposed to go, right? Is that right or not? There, there's an irony to life. There's an uncertainty to our existence, is there not? He goes on in verse 2 and says, The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad. Is that true? Do the good people get to live and only the bad people die early? Or does death kind of come to all of us? He goes on and says this, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. I agree. I agree. I can think of a ton of people that should die before me. <laughs> Isn't that what we're all thinking? Like if you're really sizing up your world, looking at the people around you, you're thinking like, well, I might not be the best person, but I'm pretty good. 
Like I can think of a lot of people God should take out of this place before he takes me, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? Why? There's irony and uncertainty to all of this. Now look how he says it. Jump down to verse 11 in chapter 9. He says it like this. I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. See the tortoise and the hare, right? Is that right? Okay. I'm just saying, we've been teaching our kids that for generations. It must be right. Is it right? The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. Those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It all seems to be decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Is he right or is he not right? Is he just being real and honest? Or because it's in the Bible and you're like, I don't believe the Bible, I'm not a Christian, so I'm not, I, is you, are you already discounting it? Or can you break away from that presupposition just for a minute and ask yourself, is this correct or not? Forget about who's saying it for just a second. Forget about the fact that you're in a church, even though it looks like a basketball gym. Just forget about all that for a second. And just be honest about this stuff. Is he right or is he not right? It's hard to look at this and think he's not right. He's saying that life is jam-packed full of kind of unknowable, unpredictable irony. You can't foresee it. In fact, he, goes, he says the only thing that is certain is that you're going to die. But even that is packed full of irony and uncertainty. Because the best people don't live the longest all the time. So there's irony to it. And even though it's coming, you don't really know when it's coming. So there's uncertainty even to the one thing that is certain. I mean, it's just like, he kind of nails it, right? Isn't this really a good kind of honest description? I mean, it might not be encouraging, but it's honest. Isn't it really honest? Isn't he really talking about things that are true? Look how he says it down in chapter 10, verse 14. He says, no one really knows what is going to happen no one can predict the future. Over and over again, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, into chapter 11, he's just kind of driving home this idea that life is packed full of irony and uncertainty, and you can't really know how any of it's going to work out in the end, except that you know you're going to die. Well, that's not encouraging. I don't find a lot of meaning in that. Or, so where's he going with this? Well, first, I just want you to be honest. Just admit, is he right? Does anyone actually know the future? No. I don't care what the fortune teller tells you or how many stars you think are lined up the right way or what your horoscope reads in the newspaper. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Nobody can predict the future. He's right. And is everybody going to die? He's right. Yes. I'm just asking you to be honest about these things. Now, now don't get me wrong. He, he doesn't limit this uncertainty and irony just to bad things. He's not trying to be a Debbie Downer or, or, or depress you or discourage you. He, he includes like even the positive things in life. They too are unknowable in the future. They too come with uncertainty and irony, right? Look, look at how he says it starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. 
Farmers who wait for perfect weather, weather never plant. And if they watch every cloud, they will never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activities of God who does all things. You don't know what God's up to in the future. You just don't know. In verse 6, he says, So plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe from both. Let me sum up what he's saying in that first paragraph of chapter 11. Go ahead and work. Work hard. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, be merry. Sit back and enjoy the blessings from God. All these things we've dove into. Pursue wisdom. Live your life. Enjoy it. You don't know when blessing is going to come. You don't know when tragedy is going to come. You don't know on either end. So go ahead and work and enjoy life. Because for all you know, the next little effort you put in might result in some reward. Or the next effort after that. Or maybe both of them. And you might reap a bunch of blessing and benefit from it. So he's not trying to be all Eeyore on this thing. He's not walking around, writing, like walking through the crowd, writing as you all look at all these stupid people. Woe is me. Guess I'll just sit here and die. I'm just here. Life stinks and everything is meaningless. That's not what he's doing. No, he's saying live and live life to the fullest. But just be honest about the fact that you don't know what's coming, good or bad. And at some point, all of us are going to die whether you want to or not. That's really what he's saying. He's just trying to be real and honest about it. Not that it'll always work out bad, but just that you don't know. Now, you might be sitting here and feeling like your, your life's already worked out bad. Like, where's I want the other side now. Like, how do I get the other side? And so you grumble, you complain. You might even say to God things like, God, I thought we had a deal. My life hasn't turned out like I expected it to turn out. I'm bitter about it. Why? Because you've acknowledged there's a God. You've even paid him with good behavior over the years. And so you might say things to him like, hey, I'm a good person, God. Where's all the stuff I ordered from you? Solomon addresses that. If you were here a few weeks ago, he calls that envy, greed and envy. Right? Remember when he said, most people I've observed in this life, they want success and riches, and wisdom. They want all that stuff just to be better than their neighbors. Just to have all the stuff other people have. He says, that's meaningless. Talking to God as if like he owes you a bunch of stuff because you've put in some effort or you've done some good things. That's envy. See, envy, it's like always focused on what God hasn't given us instead of being focused on what he has given us. So easy as an American to lose sight of like how really blessed you are and just complain about all the things God hasn't done for you. This isn't how it was supposed to go, Lord. I put in the work, didn't I? I mean, I went to church. I got baptized. I took my kids to Sunday school. We don't have Sunday school here. But I'm saying we call it sidekicks, I guess, or children's church, or I don't know. But I took my kids to vacation Bible school. I read my Bible. I tried to be a good person help little old ladies across the street. I don't even know where you'd go in this county to help little old ladies across the street. But if you see a little old lady trying to cross the street, help her. She shouldn't be out there crossing the street anyhow. There's no sidewalks around. It's not good. But it's like we get this idea in our head like God owes us. And he's like, that's meaningless. God doesn't owe us 
anything. He's going to go on to say, I'm not going to read this all to you, but he's going to go on to say, hey, if you're old, if you're old, I'm not saying who here is old, not naming any names. But if you're here and you're old, right, he says, be grateful for every day you've got. And if you're young, enjoy your youth and all the energy and activity that comes with that. But that isn't all he says. He says, if you're old, be grateful for every day you got. But remember, it's almost over. <laughs> so it's really all meaningless. And then he says, if you're young, enjoy all the energy and activity that comes with youth. But remember, you have no clue what's coming in the years ahead. So it's really all meaningless. It might not work out well. Don't you feel just pumped up? Like I love reading these passages in Ecclesiastes because they all start off with these like super energetic, get you motivated for life pieces of information, right? No, he's just being real, isn't he? I mean, if you're old, he's saying, be grateful for every day you got. But isn't he being honest when he says the end? Getting a little closer, right? And isn't he being honest when he says, if you're young, go out and live life and enjoy it and live life to the fullest. But be honest that you don't have no idea what's going to happen next year. You have no clue what's going to be five years down the road. You don't know if they're going to leave you, if they're going to fire you, if you're going to be rich or broke. You have no clue, do you? And no matter how much money you save, it could all turn sour in an instant. And no matter how wise you live, the car could still hit you, couldn't it? You have no clue. And you think, no, I'm secure, I'm, I'm secure, I've got all this money saved up, I'm insulated from economic hardship. What good is all that economic stability going to do you when you get that phone call that somebody in your family has just had a tragedy? Life feel like it's got meaning now? You don't know how it's going to go? What good is all that stability going to do? My kids are healthy, I just want my kids to be healthy. Oh, I love my kids, there's so much meaning in my life and having kids, and then... The next year, your spouse walks out on you. You don't know how it's going to go, but we try to act like we do, don't we? What Solomon's pointing out here is really the phoniness of our life. Because how many of us walk around as if we know everything? And we know how everything's going to play out. And we've got a five-year and a ten-year plan, and we're sure it's going to go that way. And we front as if we've got it all figured out. And how many of us walk around like death's not a real thing? And we're invincible. We could do anything we want. We're going to live forever. He's pointing this out to us. You're just being a phony if you live like that. These are real things. You have no way to know what's coming. And death is certain. All right, so what's he doing? Here's what he's doing in these three and a half chapters. Like I said at the beginning, he is summing up all the holes he's poked in everything you could pursue to find meaning under the sun. And he's going to answer this question for us, why? Why can't I find any meaning under the sun? So we're going to answer that today. Why you can't find any meaning under the sun. See if you heard these in all the words I just read from the preacher to us, from the Holy Spirit to the preacher, out to us thousands of years later. See if you heard these as we were reading those passages. There's just two of them. Two main problems. You can sum them all up with these. Here's the first one. You ready? Because there's an unknowability to the future. And so whatever you pursue under the sun, be it riches or family, be it power, influence, relationships, 
all the stuff he's covered, no matter which one of those you pursue, there's an unknowability to the future. That's a problem for every single thing you could pursue under the sun. And the second one is the certainty of death. Because no matter how successful you are in business or how great your relationships are, you don't get to take any of them with you past death, do you? This is a problem. If the meaning of life is supposed to be any of these things we've covered for the last four weeks, having kids, having a solid marriage, pursuing education and wisdom, attaining power or riches, having impact or influence on the world. If it's any of these things, I can't even list them all for you. There were so many. But if it's any of those, they all hold the same two problems. You have no clue how they're going to be in five years. And even if you could control how they went, at some point you'll die and lose all of them. And so I'm asking you today, just to be honest, is he right? Is this a problem for anything you could experience or try or give your affection or your time or your devotion to throughout life under the sun? Is he right? That's all I'm asking you today. Is he right? So then he does what he's been doing every week for us. He kind of drops a hint. I've been sharing this with you over the last few weeks. He keeps dropping these hints, and I hope you'll come back next week because he's going to, like, man, hit it hard next week what he's been hinting at. But he's going to drop this hint, and in this passage where he says, hey, if you're old, be grateful, but remember you're about to die. And if you're young, enjoy it, but remember you have no clue how it's all going to work out. And in the middle of that, he drops this phrase, and he says, whether you're young or old, in chapter 11, verse 9, whether you're young or old, Remember, you must give an account to God for every single thing you do. Okay, great. So what are you saying? None of this stuff I could invest my time in on earth has any meaning, but I still got to give an account for it and answer for it. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Sorry. I, I wish it wasn't in, it's in there. I don't know what to tell you about it. I still have to answer for it all one day. Even though it's all meaningless, you're saying I should still do it God's way? Yep, that's what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. But look at how he says it back in chapter eight, starting in verse 12, he says this. Even though a person sins a 100 times and still lives a long life, even though they manage to end up on the good side of the irony and the uncertainty, right? They're a jerk, they do whatever they feel like doing, but yet they keep living longer. Even though that happens, he says, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Why? Why would I be better off doing things God's way? Why? If it's all meaningless, it doesn't last past my death, and there's no way to predict that what I do will result in a certain result, then why should I do it God's way, Solomon? Why should I be committed to it? All right, I'll give you the answer. If, if you promise to come back next week and hear all of it. Okay, I'll, hint, I'll give you the hint today. If you promise to come back for me next week and hear how he digs into it deeply, okay? But here's the answer, you ready? Because what Jesus is offering you 
in exchange for your unconditional surrender to whatever he tells you to do is the answer to the only two problems you've got. He's offering you, in exchange for unconditional surrender, certain hope of the future and everlasting life. Do you see where he's going with it? What he's offering you in exchange for obeying him and believing him is that you will be able to know how the future is going to go. And you will be able to guarantee something you can take with you past death, everlasting life. That's what he's saying. That's really what he's trying to tell us. Now he wraps the whole section up in chapter 11, verse 10. I'm not going to show it to you. You can look it up if you want. But in chapter 11, verse 10, he wraps the whole section up by saying, hey, it's all meaningless, but don't worry about it. Now that's hard to do. He says, don't get anxious about it. Don't be grieved. Don't get upset. Don't panic. That's hard to do. After the guy just told me, if I'm old, I'm about to die. And if, I, if I'm young, I have no clue of how it's all going to play out. That's hard to do. But that's what he's telling us. Don't worry. So how? How do I not worry? If I'm here today and I'm older, and I am, I am actually getting older now. So I, and you're older and you're thinking like, I worry about death a lot. How do I not worry about that? I mean, I love God and trying to do things God's way, but man, I worry about dying a lot. How do I not worry about that? Or if you're here today and you're young and you pretend like death isn't even gonna happen, you're invincible to all of it, and you're worried about like, I don't know how it's all gonna play out. Am I gonna get into the right school? Am I gonna get a scholarship? Are they gonna stay with me my whole life? And you're worried about that stuff. I get it. Everybody here who's older, has all been worried about that same stuff. And everybody here that's younger will one day too be worried about dying. So how do I not, how do I not worry about that stuff? How do I do it? This is how, you ready? First, by remembering that although life is uncertain, God is always constant. And although death is guaranteed, in Christ, eternal life is guaranteed. You get it? That's where I start. Then I take my eyes off of all the things God hasn't given me. And I put them on all the things he's already given me. I take my eyes off of the things I still want that are ultimately meaningless. All the pursuits that I think could fill my life up. I take my eyes off of all those things that he poked holes in and concluded, I keep leaving you empty and I put my eyes on the things God has already given me. See, his future is promised to us. And this is how it plays out all through the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I might see the wonderful truths in your law. There's all kinds of wonderful things around you, but you can't see them if you're always griping about the things God hasn't done already for you. You gotta get your eyes off those things that are meaningless and get your eyes on what he's already giving you. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes this letter. It's called the book of Ephesians in our Bible. But it's a letter to a church at Ephesus. Now, here's what's interesting about the letter. It's not written to a bunch of heathens, a bunch of non-Christians, people that don't love God. He calls them super faithful in the letter. 
You who have been so faithful, he says. The followers of God, the real Christians, the ones who have given their life to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, I think. Yeah, starting in verse 18, listen to what he says to these people who love God because we're so quick to get worried about these things. Listen to what he says. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can see the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, his rich and glorious inheritance. That's not all. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This, what kind of power? This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What's he saying? What I'm praying for you who are faithful to the Lord, who love him and want to do his will, what I'm praying for you is that your eyes will be opened to the hope he's given you for the future and that you will understand the resurrection power he's given you for everlasting life because he understood from generation to generation all throughout the Bible, God is clear. He knows what we're going to worry about. What are you going to worry about? You don't know what the future is going to hold and you know you're going to die someday. And what he's done for you is overcome both. You are in God's hands if you are in Christ. And you think, I can't see all the time, but here's some verses in the Bible that are begging God to help you see. In fact, Jesus, you might feel like you've been kicked and beaten and are just laying in a pile of dirt on the ground right now. But there was this guy in the Bible, God's one and only son, and he was able to bend down and pick up some dirt, spit on it, it's kind of gross just for the record. Make mud out of it and rub it on a blind guy's eyes. And when he washed that mud off, the Bible said that guy went away seeing. Jesus is the only one that can help you see the confident hope God's given you for the future when you're worried about what the future holds. And he's the only one that can help you understand the power of resurrection and eternal life when you're concerned and worried about dying someday. Do you get it? You can face the irony and uncertainty of life, the ups and downs, the risks of life, and even death itself, because you are safe in God's hands. And the only thing that could destroy your life, the penalty for your sin, was already taken care of by Jesus when he died on the cross for you to take your place. And then he rose from the dead to earn the right to give you future hope and everlasting life. If you are in Christ today, if you have decided to follow Jesus with your whole heart, you've begged him to save you and you've surrendered all you are to him. In exchange for that, what he offers you is a future hope and everlasting life. What should you do this week? Start by going out of the room and refusing to focus on the things God hasn't given you. And instead, be overwhelmed by his goodness that's all around your life right now. Grace that gives you a future hope. Grace that promise you, promises you everlasting life. 
confident hope, everlasting life. They are yours, church, this week in Jesus. Will you live that way? Will you live that way because Jesus has your back? Because God's got you in your hand? And nobody, not the future, not anybody out there, not even death itself can rip you out of his hands. He's got you in Jesus' name. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, there are, it, it hurts my heart, God, to know that there are people in our room right now who are living terrified of death. And there are people in our room right now who are so worried about what the next day or week or year is going to hold that they're literally paralyzed from life. God, I pray right now you would give them the courage to trust what you say, to, to beg you for salvation, and to surrender everything they are to you and in exchange receive confident hope for the future and the assurance of everlasting life. God, would you give them that kind of courage today to trust what you say is true so that they can really know what it's like to live the abundant life you promised. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.